The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, everybody, to The Second Stage. Hey, Jeff. My God, it's been an entire week. I know I say that every week, but it just seems like the you know these weeks go faster and faster and faster. Must mean we're having fun. We are having fun, and if you can't tell over here at my table, I want to find out who the bastard is that sent in all these Godiva chocolates because I was doing wow. really well leading into the holiday season, and I'm yeah. about to completely wipe out any any semblance wow. of a diet uh, going into the holidays. That was and a one, big wor- one afternoon. That was a big word for you, um, but uh, that I can't, I shouldn't repeat. But I, I would we'll point out you didn't need to bring all of the Godiva chocolates into into your office to uh, to eat right now. I couldn't help myself to be honest with you. This milk, this milk salted toffee caramels blended with sea salt is outstanding. You and then they have salt chocolate, chocolate caramel. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they've got these milk chocolate cashews. Wow. Damn good. Yeah, for the person that did send those, we won't use their name because uh, you called them a bad name. But uh, they they can keep sending them if they want to. You know, it's not what it, he wasn't serious about that. So I know I'm going to weigh about uh, 400 pounds. Yeah, it's good. To, it's good to see. Well, Jeff, I I uh, was I had a kind of crazy week where I uh, donated a little time and I uh, put in uh, did my first non evolution focused um, EOS implementation thing uh and i i tell you it's it's amazing to watch you know people that have been working together for a long time try to figure out how to communicate and so forth and especially you know people that are so well educated on the you know kind of the best practices and so forth it's uh, it's it was it was crazy it was it was fun and how did they do and how did you do you know, I got to be honest. With you, I, I, I think they gave me a positive grade because I think they felt sorry for me. Because you know, but you know, but I, and I you're do, doing it for free. I was, yeah, and I was doing it for free. So uh, it was maybe I should charge, and you know, we will have a big party <laughs> afterwards. Um, but uh, no, I, I think it, went, I think it went very well. I think you know what you've been through these days before. It's draining, and so you know, I hadn't been there before where I wasn't an interested party. You know, interested in that way. Um, it, where you can just see the energy, where people are overwhelmed, and you can see how they're, you know, they're trying to trying to grasp it all, and you just, you know, it, it, uh, but I think that 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 the the energy of knowing that there's a, a solution coming, that there's a plan to solve the problems that they've been, you know, kind of running around with, and that, you know, just like you and I were, where where you're talking about the same problems, it's it's a it's a circular issue where you just you you can't get to the bottom of it, and I think that. You know, when we were working our way through the accountability chart and so forth, I think that all of a sudden they start realizing why that they don't have any time in the day because they didn't really even realize who was responsible for very, you know, for for that for that um, 
that that task. And I think that it's uh, it, it's it's fun to see the light go on. It's fun to see, you know, quite frankly, people say, you know, when you ask the question, do people get it, want it, and have the capacity to do it? And then you know, people kind of slowly raise their hand and question whether somebody really wants it. And so that was, it's, it was uh, it was good. You know, my favorite part of it though, Jeff, is at the end, like all str- strong entrepreneurs, you go right to the bar afterwards, and that's where all the real stuff comes out. <laughs> and so. that's actually where you shine. That's I got. That's how I got my ten rating was because I <laughs> I had them regrade after a couple cocktails. So that's yeah, a, that's smart. That's smart. Yeah. Um, I, I I I like your strategy. That's that's yeah. that was well played. You know the the common feature of all the people that are that should realize that they're ready for EOS is that they've hit the ceiling, yeah. and any organization that grows is at some point going to outstrip their resources and. They're going to hit the ceiling as an organization, as a division, and as individuals. And the beauty of EOS is it really kind of relieves all that pressure and it's frustration, right, that that people express. And it it really has come from the fact that they're working their tails off and they're not getting anywhere. I, Jeff, I'm inspired by your uh, your knowledge of um, of hitting the ceiling. I I, I literally uh, I'm going to have to call you out on our money our Monday morning meeting, our level ten meeting for uh, for uh, uh, core values, uh, using core values. So that's awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Well, I I just finished the book, Get a Grip, so I'm kind of on the money right now with regard to my EOS comments. It's it's scaring me. I'm actually going to have to reread it because I'm, I'm feeling I think a little chill. Is that scaring? Those are called chills. Oh, those are chills. Those are chills. Is that withdrawal chills? From- <laughs> yeah, it could be withdrawal chills because it's been several hours since you've had your last cocktail. Yes. Um, there's actually another article that I wanted to bring up because, as you know, one of my favorite Jim Collins quotes is, is the opposite of success isn't failure but growth. Uh, there is a, um article um, from the New York Times dated November 8th, 2014 by Claire Martin. And it's wearing your failures on your sleeve. And there's a woman out in Silicon Valley uh, named Cassandra Phillips founded a conference, a one-day conference called FailCon. And uh, it celebrates failure. And um, what it – And we didn't what, get invited? <laughs> We are we were overqualified. I think we had our sleeves were too long. Is that the story? <laughs> we were overqualified, and we would have taken out. There's no room for anybody else to talk. Okay. I think was right, part good. of the problem. But the point is, is that it, it's been a, a massive success, and that they, you know, they they could do it over four days because it's been it's therapeutic for all these people to learn from each other's mistakes and realize how hard it is, and so on and so forth. And I just thought it was a great read, and I wanted to point our listeners out to uh, this article because uh, it's a good read and and um, I think it makes you feel pretty good that there's a lot of people out there that are going through you know the same challenges that you are and not everybody's perfect well, that's uh, that's in, 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 as, as we say frequently you learn a whole lot more from your mistakes than you do from your successes and um, we've had a couple good chances to learn haven't we we have, you know, another way you can shortcut the description of this article is misery loves company. 
Right. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, right. you know, not to always jump back on my EO bandwagon. Oh, wait a minute. Here it comes. Is you know, that's one of the great things about EO is I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel inadequate when they, you know, with, with how they're dealing with sort of with with the, the daily operations, with the growth and so forth, and then they quickly get around other entrepreneurs and they're like, oh my god, you know, these are all common issues, common problems, and uh, you know, why why recreate the wheel if somebody else has some suggestions that uh, make it uh, make it easier? So. But but that's exactly why you would want you know candidly is my part of my pitch to prospective partners for us is we've seen the movie so many times there are going to be problems along the way but we've seen most of them so yeah. I think we have and so we can help you avoid the typical uh, landmines that you're going to go through through the process so absolutely anyway, that's, and it's um, that's the only pitch I'm going to make on this show I swear. The only pitch right now, because <laughs> I yeah you know, I'm pitch mode man yeah. you know that That's constantly good. pitching. So before we go much farther, as always, I want to remind everyone that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. We want to hear from you in terms of what works and what doesn't. We want to create a true community of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. You can also email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Um, so, Brennan, you'll recall that we had the uh, uh, Mike Marhoff, not the Mike Marhoff. Maybe it's the Mike Marhoff. You know what? Mike I think Marhofer. we actually should go with the Mike Marhoffer. I think that, that that's our new thing. He would like appreciate that. that. Yeah, he, appreciate he actually it. wouldn't, but that's why we'll do it. <laughs> well, so this is the second show of a three-part series on really everything related to selling your business and with a legal bent. So the first sec- segment that we did last week was uh, preparing your business for sale. And what I thought was really instructive about the way we talked about it, and Michael led the conversation, obviously, was just some areas that you need to be particularly pay particular attention to when preparing your company for sale. And as he was going down his list and I was taking notes, I was like, wow, this is really all the things that you would see in a purchase agreement um, to buy your business. Uh, that that would be included in a re- in your reps and warranties, meaning as a seller, you're representing to the buyer that all of these conditions are true, with the exception of whatever's in the schedules. And I don't want to give away uh, everything, uh, obviously, and it's much more involved than that. But so I thought that was a great segue at the end of the last show into this show, which is obviously much more into. You know the body of the purchase agreement, but really starting at a high level and being philosophical about. Um, and I, again, I don't want to get into it too much because we've got a ton to talk about. But uh, so I think I think this is going to be a very instructive show. Uh, Michael's well organized, and we've prepared ourselves because in this this is one of those situations where there's more to talk about than you really have time for. Yeah, I called Mike before the show, and I was asking him a question about a deal that we're working on, and he told me to just listen in on this show to get the answer to that. So I'm very excited to get the answer to my question. So that's going to be very exciting from the Mike Marhoffer. Okay. Well, um, what we're going to do here is, since we've got so much to talk about, we are going to take our first break, 
And we're only going to do two breaks today. We're not going to do that middle break um, unless we have to take a potty break or something like that. Uh, But before we're going to do that, we are going to thank our sponsors, McGladry LLP is a leading provider of assurance tax and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. And with that, we're going to take a short break and be back with you for the next segment of the second stage. Thanks for tuning in. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is our show, but it is a forum, so we're looking for input from you so that we can benefit from everyone's experience. Don't be shy. Everyone has made mistakes, and believe me, uh, Brent and I have made a number of them as we talked about in the first segment with regard to FailCon, which should be featured speakers. Um, and we have the Michael Marhofer, our guest from the last show, to continue the discussion about selling your business, and we're moving into the purchase agreement. Uh, Michael is somebody we work with uh, quite a bit, and uh, he's a partner at Calfee. 
which is a lot of, uh, what is it, Calfee Halter and Griswold, right. And so I just right. know it's Calfee anymore, and it's www.calfee.com. And uh, <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful firm, and that's why we have them on the show to explain to everybody out there that's listening the ins and outs of the purchase agreement. Hello, D. Michael Marhofer. How are you? Good, guys. How are you? Living the dream. Living the dream. Hey, <laughs> Brennan's so sitting Mike, there shaking his head at me like – Yeah, wow. no, I think, it's, I think it's fantastic you know, uh, <laughs> to come up with things like the Michael Marhofer. And I, think, I wonder how long it's going to stick. I think it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> yes. hey, hey, Mike, you, you know, we've done a couple uh, purchase agreements together and letters of intent and that sort of thing. And you know, I always just thought pr- purchase agreements were pretty simple. You just throw together a letter of intent, you know, kind of you know, spelling. The correct spelling was optional. And, um, and you just send it and then everything gets done. It's, but apparently you're telling me it's not quite that simple. Yeah, no, uh, you know, things, obviously the devil gets into the details, and, you know, even before you submit a letter of intent, you really got to think through, you know, the structure of the transaction, right, before you even get to, um, you know, the purchase agreement, you know, what type of purchase agreement I'm going to draft? Is it an asset purchase agreement, or is it a stock purchase agreement, or a merger? So, you know, the basic difference meaning, is the entity going to sell its assets, or are the shareholders going to sell the stock of the target company? So, uh, and they're immensely different, right? From a from a liability exposure point of view, from you know what taxes are paid, the accounting issues, and obviously the mechanics and and, and burden to close the transaction. So, and, and you got to really think through those things. They're they're very important to to both sides, uh, both buyers and sellers. And you know the ability to negotiate negotiate the structure. Um, really depends on, you know, you know, what is, you know, depends on what you're selling. So, or what, who the target company is. If it's a, if it's a C Corp, then you're pretty limited. Most of the time, given that that's a taxable entity, you will do a stock sale or a merger, uh, with C Corps to avoid the double tax. Meaning if the, if a C Corp sold its assets, the C Corp would owe a tax on the sale of those assets. And then the, the amount distributed to the shareholders of the C Corp would also owe a tax. So rarely will you see a C Corp sell its assets. Now, if you have a flow-through entity like a you know an S Corp or an LLC, then you can start getting into the discussion of of either doing an asset deal or a stock deal, and we can get into you know the advantages and disadvantages of, of both of those. Two other things that could play into you know types of structure. If you if you have a small business. You know, single location, and again, it's not a, a C corp. You know, generally you'll see those as, as asset deals, uh, since you know it's easy to get those done, and um, you know, it, it's it's much simpler uh, if it's a smaller type of business. And, and also, lastly, if you if you if you're selling a product line or a division, like from a large uh, corporation, then you have to do an asset sale, right? The target company, you're not buying the whole thing. So that company would need to sell you the assets. So it is very important up front to, for you know, both buyers and sellers to kind of figure out, hey, can we do, can we have some flexibility on the structure, and, and then kind of figure out what's the best for both parties. And, and Mike, it really, and for, you know, I'm kind of a visual person, in, or in, in it's, you literally are saying, I'm going to buy all of the assets in an asset deal. And as, as you know, and for most of our listeners, we mostly do asset deals. I, I, I don't, I, um, or almost entirely do asset deals. Um, and, and, and so because you're buying the assets of the company, 
you know, you're you're not inheriting the effectively the the corporate structure. Maybe talk about that a little bit, and then some of the the, the you know the positives and negatives of of, of an asset deal. Yeah, a- excellent point. So that that really is you know number one right off the right off the bat. So the liability exposure um, in an asset deal is clearly different, right? So a buyer, one of the main advantages of doing an asset deal for buyers is that it can limit the the liabilities it is assuming as part of the transaction. So, um, and conversely, you know the the you know the disadvantage to the seller is that it is retaining some liabilities that the buyer wants no part of. So um, that's kind of the the push pull there uh, when negotiating those transactions. Um, now, you know, buyers do need to be concerned with successor liability issues. So contractually speaking between the buyer and the seller, um, buyers only uh, assuming certain liabilities and the, and the seller is retaining some liabilities. But there could be, there is some successor liability issues certainly on the environmental side, right? So if you uh, own or operate on a, on a site, even if you lease it, you are, you know, under federal law, you will be subject to uh, any liability issues on that site. So there's certain, and successor liability comes up in a lot of uh, product cases. If there's product liability, uh, courts generally tend to find that, um, you know, you can't, once you start selling the product, the same manufacturing facility and all of that, courts generally um, will hold buyers responsible for uh, products manufactured prior to the date of sale. So um, the big issue there is, you know, contractually speaking, yes, great for buyers to, uh, jump into the asset sale so they can limit their exposure on um, on liabilities. Um, the, go ahead, go sir. Ahead. No, it's it, and so it's if uh, for the people listening, you know, it really is you're buying the assets. You you know you because you're buying assets. A lot of times, you know, the the the, the downside, like I always look at from an entrepreneur's perspective, is that that some of the contracts you have, some of the leases, some of the uh, those things. Don't necessarily come with it, so you, you know it, it creates a, a burden to to move those to the new entity. Maybe talk about that a little bit because that seems to be you know the, the the issues that we run into. The, the you know those are the biggest hassles. Is that or am I miss or what no, are the no, hassles? No, excellent point. So right, so the, the administrative burden and, and and why it's easier to do a stock deal than an asset deal. So in an asset deal, you got to transfer all the assets. Uh, to the buyer, right? And sometimes that's easy, right? A piece of equipment, that's easy. You can do a bill of sale for that. Um, but a contract, um, you know, has typically will have most, you know, 99% will have that you can't assign that contract to any third party without, you know, the other third party's consent, right, to transfer that to the buyer. Um, so that's a big issue, right? And so uh, you have to deal with that, um, and, and so the, the administrative burden of, of, of buying assets and transferring all those assets to the buyer uh, raises a lot of concerns. You've got to get consents. And also the buyers have to you know, establish an entity. They need to get license and permits in that entity. A lot of times, um, you know, a, a target company's permits uh, and licenses don't transfer cleanly. So you need to get consent of the government to get those to to you so that you can operate the business. So it's much harder, and, and again, that's type of the size of the business, what type of contracts do they have, 
you know, what type of permits do they have. Those are all the things you need to take a look at because the transferability of those is very important. You know, I've, I've, I had a transaction where uh, the target company had an environmental permit, and, you know, it was not assignable. So that was a deal that, you know, in order to get that permit, you had to buy the stock of the company. So, again, you really need to dig deep and figure out, you know, do I have the ability to buy assets? Uh, and, and part of that is can, can you effectively transfer the business to me as the buyer via the consents and, and establishing, establishing new co-buyer, uh, you know, with permits and licenses in order, in order to operate? Like it. Oh, I mean, I don't like it, but that's how we end up doing it. Let's, let's get into the uh, real exciting part of the purchase agreement and discuss maybe, uh, you know, the purchase agreement and let's get into maybe t- discussing the various parts of it, or at least the, the big parts that tend to cause friction between buyers and buyers and sellers. Well, um, that's, a, that's a big question. Uh, so, you know, the purchase agreement can basically broke up in, in probably six or seven parts. You'll have a, a definition section. You'll have... Uh, and again, depending on the asset, if it's an asset deal or stock deal, you have, to, you have to describe the transaction, really. What assets am I buying and what liabilities are I assuming? Or much simpler in a stock deal, uh, when you're explaining, you know, what you're buying, it's, it's, it's the stock. So it's, it's a per, pretty simple one, one sentence versus an, an asset deal where you really have to describe the assets you're buying. So then you get into other sections, um, like purchase price, uh, how much you're paying, what adjustments to the purchase price are there? Um, if there's earnouts, seller notes, escrows, those would be described in that section. And, and I can go into further details on those in a second. Um, then you get into the reps and warranties. Jeff mentioned those. Um, you, you know, uh, it, if the seller isn't a sophisticated seller, they'll be shocked at you know the pages upon pages of representations and warranties of the buyer is going to request that seller to make a, with respect to the business. That's a big, big slug in the middle of the document. You'll get into the closing conditions. What is it going to take to close the transaction? Um, you'll have covenants, covenant section, things like non-competes, uh, releases, how you're dealing with employees. So that'll be a, a, in a covenant section. And then you'll have an indemnification section. So really this is specific detail about, you know, what happens if, a representation and warranty is breached or a covenant is breached, you know, these will be the parameters for, you know, the buyer to seek recourse against the seller post-closing. And then you'll have a miscellaneous section with, you know, venue and, and governing law and notices and, and things that typical contracts have. So that, that's the general, you know, and these can be, you know, from 20 to 80 pages, uh, really depending on, um, kind of the size of the deal, complication of the deal, and, and numerous other factors. But um, you'll see all various shapes and sizes of these depending on, uh, depending on a lot of factors. Hey Jeff, I know you love reading these things. That's why you know, that's why I, uh, um, I that's why we got Jeff hanging around because he loves reading this stuff. Oh yeah, <clears throat> oh yeah. This is this is fun stuff. Let me let me tell you. Um, so you you kind of move. Qu- quickly over that last section, but it's that last section is important in the sense that you're really kind of quantifying what the warranty part of the rep and warranty is for the seller, aren't you, with the, the baskets and so on and so forth? Yeah, so, yeah, we can get into depth of the indemnification. So, um, so 
It really depending on the structure of the transaction. Remember, an asset deal, most of the time, uh, you're able to leave a lot of liabilities behind, you know, with the seller, such that, you know, um, the seller needs to be, is retaining those and they need to take care of those. You know, so that's kind of dollar one, and, and, and they assume that responsibility going forward. But in a stock deal, um, you know, a buyer's recourse will solely be pursuant to the contract. So that makes the reps and warranties very important. That makes the indemnification very important. And so what I mean by that is, again, as I said, in the middle of the document, you're going to have 20-odd pages of, uh, of reps and warranties. Uh, these are going to be specific statements. Uh, that the seller and the shareholders will be making about the business. Um, you know, that can be with respect to their financial statements, it's with respect to their authority to do the transaction, taxes, compliance with law, environmental matters, product matters, you know, material contracts, breach of contracts. So a whole host of areas are the, are, are the, the seller is going to be making affirmative statements about. So how, how that works then is, and when you get into the indemnification, is it spells out, so I'm making all those statements. Say I'm the, I'm the seller and making all those statements. Uh, and what, what happens if one of those are wrong? And I'm assuming, again, that the seller didn't know it was wrong. It just, you know, for some reason it, 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 was, it was wrong. Then the indemnification section comes into play. And the, and the great thing about the indemnification section, particularly for a seller, is typically you know, these are going to be limitations on buyer's recourse against the seller for breaches of reps and warranties. And, that, and those limitations can take a whole, there's like several layers of limitations. One is the survival period, and, and, and that's the amount of time after closing that, uh, that a buyer is able to make a claim against the seller. And so... Most of the time, that's between 12, 18, or 24 months after the closing uh, is the amount of time that, you know, the representation and warranties survive the closing for purpose of indemnification. Sometimes fundamental reps uh, will, well, all the time, fundamental reps will go longer. And what I mean by fundamental reps are those are the ones that, like, I own the assets, I own the stock, and I had the authority to sell them to you. Things that are so fundamental to the transaction itself those aren't subject to survival periods or baskets or caps, as we'll explain in a second. So, so you've got survival periods for most general reps and warranties, and then you have what's called a basket. So that's, that concept is, uh, you know, it's like a, de- a deductible and in an insurance policy. So uh, I, as a buyer, I'm not going to go bug the seller until I have losses up to a certain amount, a dollar amount or a percentage amount. Usually that's from, you know, a half a percentage to 1% of the purchase price. So that could be, you know, $100,000 or a million dollars, depending on the size of your transaction. So basically, it'll say that, you know, I'm the buyer. I can't go against you, seller, until I reach that point. I reach that basket or threshold amount, after which I, you know, I can either collect above that amount or sometimes it's called what, a tipping basket, and you can go back to dollar one and collect all your losses. But the concept is, hey, for a certain period of time, it, you know, you're not going to nickel and dime me as, uh, as a seller, and I, I don't have to pay until it gets to a certain amount. And, and, the final, and the final piece really on the limitation side, and there's others, is, is a cap. And that's basically saying, you know, my exposure for breaches of reps and warranties 
stops at a certain percentage amount. And that, and that really depends on the size of the deal, right? Because, you know, if you have a small deal, then that percentage will go up. But larger transactions, that can be between, you know, 5 to, to 25% of the transaction. And the theory here is, um, yeah, I may have breached my rep and warranty. You have losses. Um, but if they're not fatal, like fundamental reps are to the business, you still have the business, right? And, you, you know, we're not going to rescind the deal. I'm not going to get the business back. But I'm going to pay you up to a certain amount to, to, to give you um, – so you can recover your losses based on the representations and warranties. So, Mike, are you saying? Are you saying with? And I might have missed this. That with a fundamental rep, the caps don't apply. Yeah, that, that's correct, right? Because you you didn't have the authority to sell me this business, uh, or you know you, you didn't own the stock that you sold me. So, yeah, you know, I I, I might not have a business, right? It, I, I don't think it, it. It rarely happens, you know, people that. Uh, you do your due diligence, and, and people that say they own something uh, typically do. So, but yeah, so that the concept there is, you know, I really didn't get what I bargained for. Thus, you know, whatever damages I have up into the whole purchase price, you're going to have to pay me back for. Got it. So, so the whole theory is, um, you know, I, you know, the business wasn't as you represented it was. I did all my diligence. I did what I could do, but. I'm the buyer, so you need to make certain representations and warranties just kind of, uh, you know, as a backstop to say, you know, this is the business that I'm selling you, and, and, and everyone's on the same page of that. And it so happens if something isn't as stated, then I have some recourse. I, as the buyer, have some recourse against the seller. Um, you know, you know and, and, my, and, and I know I'm going a little out of order here in terms of, you know, the form of the, the purchase agreement. The only reason I wanted to go in more detail into this section, you know, as a follow-up to the reps and warranties in the front of the, the document is, is the way I look at these purchase agreements, it's really about sharing risk that everybody's taking risk by entering into this agreement and really the reps and warranties and the indemnifications and so on and so forth is like okay um, how much of the risk am I willing to accept based on what I'm being paid or what I am paying to enter into this transaction is that fair no that's an excellent point right the whole purchase agreement is about allocation of risk from the structure that you pick from you know how you describe the assets to the reps and, and warranties uh, to the indemnification. So it, all all we do in this whole thing is allocating risk uh, from structure to completion, and 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 it really does depend, right? Am I, and are you paying full value for the business, or is it a distress sale? You know who's selling, who has the negotiating power. All those factor into. Um, you know, the negotiations and the allocation, right? If, you, if, you, if you're paying full value as a buyer, um, you expect that the seller will make full reps and warranties and provide a, a wholesome indemnification package to you if they're, if they're incorrect. Now, in a distressed sale, things might look differently. Um, and, 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 you know, the risk will be allocated separately since, A, you probably wouldn't be paying as much uh, for those assets for that business. So, and sometimes... You know, you'll see the allocation. You know, a buyer will take more risk um, because it's not paying as much. Uh, but yeah, it, it is all about allocation uh, of risk inside a purchase agreement, and and obviously, um, sellers trying to minimize that, and, and the buyers trying to you know hold on to 
uh, a con- contractual right to seek remedies if if the business isn't what um, they think it is. Got Perfect. it. Yeah, all right, Mike. I, 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 we, you and I sign a, or a, a general letter of intent, you know, kind of outlining a deal, and, and we all say that uh, you know I'm going to get two million bucks. Let's say I, I assume we close the deal and I get two million bucks, right? It's, it's, so there's it's just uh, or are there other ways to, to pay people like uh, earn outs and seller notes and escrows and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, good good point. So, you know, there's certainly got to be a meaning in mind on the purchase price and 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 earnouts um earnouts you know are, are are used a lot. Um I shouldn't say a lot, but I mean they are used to bridge the gap between, you know, what a seller thinks their company is worth and what a buyer is willing to pay. And a lot of these come back in smaller companies that have yet fully uh reached their growth potential or you know, they're right on the precipice of 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 some big things and 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 a buyer's not willing to pay them now, and a, but a buyer really wants the business, but a seller wants to enjoy that upside. So there'll be earnouts, and, and, and the devil certainly isn't in detail of those. You gotta you gotta carefully uh, spell those out and negotiate those, and, and get everything on the table there. Um, and there's adjustments to the purchase price. Typically, a purchase price will be um, you, you know X, uh, but depending on the structure, usually um, that's uh, the purchase price is plus cash and less debt, and then there'll be a working capital adjustment. And that working capital is, you know, basically your current assets less your current liabilities. And what you're trying to protect there from a buyer's standpoint is, I want you to operate in the ordinary course, seller, and I'm, I'll buy your business so long as I get, a, you know, a normalized level of working capital assets, you know, accounts receivable, inventory, uh, less payables. Uh, you know, because I've seen it happen where, you know, you sign up a deal and, you know, the seller then starts selling inventory at a discount or um, hastening the collection of receivables or slowing the payables down. And it's not, you know, a normal course operation. And, and the buyers can get hurt there because they got to then fund some working capital that goes into the business. So typically in a purchase agreement, you'll see, you know, a mechanism to make sure that doesn't happen and that a buyer gets a normal working capital amount uh, to operate the business going forward and it'll pay the value that the business is worth, you know, to the seller, um, you know, less any working capital adjustment. And I, and I think it's important you kind of focus on the working capital adjustment, you know, quickly because that's something that most entrepreneurs fail to really grasp or you know fail to to want to understand when we're going through that those beginning phases of of structuring a deal. And so, you know, just just to kind of pound this one home, you know, if if um, you know, typically these these companies or you know we value we value companies at you know some number you know uh, some multiple of earnings plus cash less debt and um, you know in, in in the plus cash is the amount over what would you know what what is a, a fair amount of working capital to run the business and so you know I think it's important to realize because obviously we, we we this is an issue every time we we talk to entrepreneurs is that you know if that if that working capital number isn't met then then they there's they get they owe us back money or if, you know or if, you know and, and it's typically you know that sort of structure i mean and maybe you know and i, I um you know it, i think most go ahead yeah no it definitely is that structure because and, and really and you do get bogged down into that because it is hard to uh, for a lot of sellers to comprehend so um but the concept should be fairly straightforward just operate in the ordinary course and i'm buying your business based on, as you said, a multiple of cash flow, 
and and you and you need a normalized you know working capital to continue the operation of business. You don't want to have to go in and and you, you pay X and then you have to then you have to recapitalize the business because the you know because the seller pulled out you know all the cash or or, or collected all the receivables where you have to or they sold all the inventory, so you got to build up inventory, and that takes cash. So the concept is easy. The details sometimes aren't, um, but it should be pretty straightforward. Typically, you know, you, you, you peg a target, and, and that's based on what is a normalized target uh, to hit at the closing. And if they, you know, if they hit that target, that's great, and then, you know, there's no adjustment. But if they don't, for whatever reason, and you've got to think of things through seasonality. I mean, there could be, you know, a seller could be honest and, and not, you know, operating in the ordinary course, and there could be swings due to seasonality or, or general growth in the business. So you've got to be, that's where it can, can get a little tricky in setting the target. But um, this is not meant to be, you know, a, a win for the buyer or a loss for the seller or vice versa. It's just supposed to say, you know, transferring into the business, in the ordinary course, and, and, and there'll be no adjustment, and you'll get the value you're supposed to get. Yeah, and as you know, um, if you have two, a willing buyer and a willing seller that, you know, that are communicating well, you know, that, that goes typically pretty well. Like you said, we're, nobody's trying to take advantage and get an extra nickel or a dime here, or they shouldn't if you're dealing with the right people, and, and, um, you know, and, and there should be a, a good story there. Let's talk about maybe bridging the gap through earnouts and, and, and you know, kind of that sort of thing, and, and kind of what you've seen in that regard and what those mean? Yeah, so an earnout then is a contractual promise to pay additional purchase price in the future based on specific events. And, and you know, those can be, you know, hitting revenue targets or hitting earnings targets. Um, and, you know, obviously if, you, if it's based on kind of a net income or, or an earnings level, then they can be, you know, then, uh, then you got to get into how, how you're going to account for that. And, and maybe separate financials if, if, if this business is in a standalone situation. So, um, you know, and, and typically these are done over, a, you know, one, two, maybe a three-year period, uh, though three years is, is pretty long. So, you know, you, you get to the first anniversary and, and you have whether it's a, a revenue target or, like I said, earnings target, and if you hit, if you hit X, then you get Y. Um, and, and then the buyer will pay the seller additional purchase price um, because the business did perform um, as advertised um, by the seller, and so a buyer would be willing. You know, it's thrilled usually to pay that earnout because the business did perform, and you know they would have paid that additional purchase price at the closing if you know if we all had a crystal ball and it, it was going to perform like that. So, an earnout's a nice way. Uh, you know, to, again, to bridge the gap, get a deal closed, and and again, pay the purchase price that the, that the business was worth. But after a while, you, you know, you don't go very long because you know a buyer's going to say, "Well, I, you know, I did this, I did that, and that's why you know the target company is is performing like it is." So after a while, you you don't really want to share in that upside. Um, but it, it, again, it could it can bridge a gap and get a deal done. Um, but you got to be real careful. Uh, on how that's drafted. That's um, there's some tricky drafting in there. You'll certainly want to cap it, uh, and you certainly need to think through, you know, how you account for it, how you're going to operate it, and um, you know, and the, and the length of time. Uh, and then, and then uh, um, obviously, uh, how would that differ from like a seller note? 
So a seller note is just is, is like an escrow. So you're going to hold back a certain portion of a purchase price um, and, and pay it later. Um, so the purchase price is defined as, as ten million dollars, for example. But and I can get you eight now, eight million. But two million dollars, I'm going to pay over time in a, in a seller note. Um, and, and you know the, those are tough um, from a standpoint, particularly if if, if the buyer has bank financing. Uh, and, and it, you know, it's part of paying that $8 million, a bank is involved. Uh, so then the, the, your bank and the, and the seller, you need to negotiate, you know, kind of a subordination agreement. Um, so seller notes are, 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 are tougher, but, again, it's a way they, you know, seller, I can't buy your business because uh, I can only come up with this. If you'll finance uh, the rest via seller note, we can get this deal done and, and it'll get you paid out. And again, you can show them the projections or, you know, the, basically the projections that the seller came forward and said, I should not have any problem if the business performs in, in, getting, you, in getting you paid out. It's just, um, you know, a buyer needs additional capital in its structure and a seller is, you know, a seller is sitting right there to bridge that, um, that shortfall that a buyer can come up with its own equity and debt uh, in order to get the deal done. Um, so I, think, I guess it's a little different from escrows from the standpoint, and, and escrow is, you know, or holdback is, is there, um, again, as, as we talked about in the indemnification section, you hold back funds or you put funds in escrow in order to satisfy whether it's an indemnification claim or a working capital shortfall. You know, there's a pool of money uh, that a buyer can look to to get, you know, recourse against the seller parties. So, you know, I want to make sure that we get all these concepts in and, and uh, we're run out of time. And I'm sure you're probably a little hoarse at this point. <laughs> so um, I want to keep moving on. I think you've done a great job of staying focused here on the myriad of issues that we've got to cover. But I, I want to move on to covenants next, you know, the restricted covenants and, and that sort of stuff. And then maybe get a little bit into um, you know, schedules and that sort of stuff to the extent that we've got time. Okay, so the, yeah, I, mean, I think every seller needs to get in their mind that they're going to be subject to some restrictive covenants uh, as part of a transaction selling a business. And these would be, you know, confidentiality, a non solicitation of employees and customers, and obviously a non competition covenant. So, um, you know, in a nutshell, uh, a, a buyer needs to uh, make sure that. You know, the person he's given a pile of money to isn't going to go out the next day and, and start a business next door and compete with them. You know, it makes perfect sense, and it, it really is involved in every transaction that you do. Um, and, and, and so confidentiality is pretty easy. You, just, you, you won't use, you know, the confidential information uh, of the business. And that typically doesn't have a, have a time period to it because, you know, confidential information typically over time no longer becomes confidential. Um, and so you, then you start negotiating the time periods for how long um, I'm not going to solicit employees or how long I'm not going to compete in the business. And, you know, that, that could be from two to five to, to seven years, depending on the facts and circumstances, and really the jurisdiction, um, the state you might, then governing law involved. Um, you know, uh, you have to be reasonable uh, in the duration. You have to be reasonable in the scope. And you got to be reasonable in the geographical area. So those are the things that that do get negotiated. Um, but typically, you know, it's pretty easy, right? You're going to stay out of the business that you're uh, that you're selling. 
in the geographical area that it's operating and and the length of time you, you know it really is a is kind of facts and circumstances who are the sellers and and, and you know if it's a founder it should be longer uh you know if it's an entity then you know it's 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 a different negotiation And some of the other covenants in an agreement, uh, you know, like you got to expect that you'll release, uh, that sellers always release the business from any obligations to make sure that, you know, there isn't any additional funds, whether it's a dividend or a, uh, a bonus arrangement or anything. So there'll, there'll be releases in, the, in those uh, in the document, and that's, that's pretty straightforward. And then, and then what, what, do you need a, what do you need a shareholder's representative for? Um, so a shareholder's representative, you know, typically if you have a, if you have numerous sellers or shareholders, depending on the uh, structure of the transaction, post-closing, the buyer only wants to deal with one party, right? So if there's an indemnification claim, you know, and there's 10 shareholders, I don't want to have to send that claim or that notice to 10 different people. I want one person that can make the decision for the 10. And so you typically have a majority shareholder or, you know, one party that, you know, really is the person that can make the decisions for the 10. Um, and, and so that just eases the burden on the buyer post-closing on, on getting things done and, and making sure that, you know, it has recourse in a, in a, in a reasonable manner. Got it. Got it. And then you want to talk a little bit about the schedules, Mike, in terms of, you know, we, we talked last I week. I love schedules. About, schedules are the best. About, because this always kills, I mean, this is always, it just blows sellers away. They just don't, <laughs> we get, they to, don't see it coming. And then all of a sudden, like, we warn them and we warn them and they don't see it coming. And yeah. uh, so just explain how that ties into the reps and warranties and what the purpose is and, and how to really work work through those? Yeah, it's actually a pretty simple concept uh, in theory, and, and actually doing it is a difficult step for some sellers. But as I said, you, you, you'll make pages and pages of representations with respect to the business, uh, sellers will, to, to the buyer. And, you know, and, and, and clearly not all those representations are going to be true, uh, or certain representations you'll need lists, like, you know, material contracts, for some, you know, for example, or, mater- you know, um, financial statements, for example. So you'll have to make lists of things or attach things to the schedules. But basically the schedules do are provide exceptions to the representations that you're making. So, for example, you know, I'm in compliance with all applicable laws with respect to my business. Well, you know, that's a great representation to make. It's in every purchase agreement. Are there any exceptions to that? You know, is there anything that you need to say on the disclosure schedule that, that, you, want, that you want to disclose and that's part of the, then part of the transaction and an exception to your reps and warranties? You know, I was in compliance with law, but I got a notice that I, you know, violated a, a wage and hour situation. So you have to put that on the schedule. A buyer understands it, knows it, how did you deal with it, and you, and you move forward. So um, if you don't put it on there and, and you close, close the transaction and then that issue comes up into the future, then you've breached the reps and warranties. So this is an opportunity for the seller to make, you know, to make statements and exceptions to the broad statements of the reps and warranties that they're making. 
and, and basically kind of gets the full picture of the business that you're buying um, for the buyer, so all issues are disclosed, so you can talk through them, understand them, and then in the four corners of the agreement, you have you know a perfect meeting of the mind of the state of the business with the reps and with the exceptions that the seller needs to make. So it's, it's very it's very critical for the seller to be very thoughtful, you know, you know take their time and deliver you know an exact story of the business tied to the reps and warranties. Because if they don't, then they, they could be subject to indemnification claims after the closing. And, you know, then nobody's happy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So we got to wind things up here, but this is the second part of a three-part series. And then the next segment that we're moving into is really uh, into the, what I call the equity documents. And I always kind of lump the uh, the employment agreement in there, but this is really uh, in, a, in less than a minute, Mike, uh, explain what those are and, and kind of what we're going to cover in the next show. Yeah. So obviously there's the purchase agreement we discussed and there'll be ancillary agreements that are part of the sale transaction uh, other than the purchase agreement. So um, typically those will be employment agreements, uh, maybe a real estate lease and, and other closing deliveries. But the key ones that you talked about uh, was the employment agreement. And, and a lot of times, particularly in, in, in smaller deals, you'll have founders that are going to reinvest in the business. And, you know, that can take numerous shapes. Those are typically rollover-type transactions um, where a seller rolls over a certain portion of his business uh, and it has an equity stake in, in the deal going forward. Or they can reinvest actual dollars in the business going forward into the, into the buyer. Hey, so, hey, Mike, you know, yeah. we want them to actually tune in to the next show here, okay? <laughs> well, then, so then you have shareholders agreements, and that's what we'll get into the next deal, on uh, what those agreements say uh, and why they're important. But it's basically because we've re- reinvested in the business, and we need to, just, and we need to have parameters around that, uh, that equity and, and how you deal with things going forward. Michael, it amazes me that you can keep your attention uh, uh, so much so so well. Brent and I'd be off on all different uh, tangents at this point. We what? could never get what? this much in. <laughs> but we want to thank you for being on the show again. And this does actually conclude this week's uh, the second stage. Uh, we've used up all of our time, but we thought it was time well spent. So, Michael, thank you again for your time. The Michael. And, uh, the Michael. And we appreciate uh, all of our listeners tuning in and uh, look forward to having you and Michael, the Michael, back for our, our next show. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 